You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 44. If you've been listening to and enjoying my podcasts, I would love it if you would take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on the Apple iTunes podcast app. This helps other people who need the help find it easily. Thanks. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. Hey guys, I am so excited today. I actually have something new and different going on here today. I have my dad doing a podcast with me. So if it sounds a little different than sometimes, that is because we are both using the same microphone and we're sitting close together at my desk here in my office. So if it sounds a little different, you'll know why. But I'm going to take just a minute and tell you why my dad is on this podcast today. So first of all, my dad is actually a four-time cancer survivor of four different cancers. So that in its own is a crazy story. But also, my father has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and is struggling with that at this point. So if it seems sometimes like I'm prompting him a little bit or helping his memory along, you'll understand why. But I want to start with telling you a really fun story about my dad. So I have really the best dad a girl could hope for. So when I was a little kid, probably about three, my dad and I were having a little talk and my dad said to me, Debbie, you can be anything you want in the whole world. There is nothing stopping you from being whatever it is you want. To which the little me immediately responded, oh, daddy, really? I want to be a horse. <laughs> so this is one of my dad's and my favorite stories, but my dad has been supporting me from my earliest time. And in the past, I've done this for other people and had podcasts for their family members for later on when they're gone. And I really wanted to have one from my family and I to hear my dad when he's gone. So today you're going to hear from him. You're going to hear his story and we're going to talk a bit about his journey. So dad, thanks for being here with us today. Well, I'm glad to do this with my daughter. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> I will tell you, my dad is insanely proud of me. So one of the things that I don't tell him so often that I remember is when I was in medical school, one time we were flying someplace and I was sitting in the row in front of him, and I hear him talking to some stranger sitting beside me, saying, you see that girl up there? She's my daughter, and she's in medical school. <laughs> 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 to which I turn around and I said, Dad, leave the stranger alone. He doesn't care. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to move on. So Dad, I'm going to start with, I have a memory of when... My oldest son was a newborn of you calling me up one day and saying, something strange is going on. My hearing disappeared in one ear over the last 24 hours. 
at that point, I said, oh my goodness, well, that doesn't seem normal. Let's get a scan. My recollection is that we sent you for an MRI. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I call up to get the results of the scan. And the doctor who had read the scan said, wait a second, you have the same last name as this person. Is he a family member? And I said, he is, he's my dad. And he says, I don't want to give you these results over the phone, which at, at which point I immediately thought, oh my God, my dad has a glioblastoma multiforme, which is the most aggressive type of brain tumor. And I started having a little freak out. And so when I started freaking out on this radiologist, he's like, no, 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 he has an acoustic neuroma. At which point I said to him, oh my God, man, that's a benign brain tumor. What are you doing to me? I don't remember all that detail. So I had finished my residency at Jefferson at that point, And I did send you to Jefferson where I had done my training. And one of the interesting things about all that is the resident who took care of you at that point was Dr. Kim, who is now one of my partners in my group. So that's always a neat little thing that she took care of you when she was still in training. All as I remember is I needed to go to Philadelphia and I went to the head of the department where Deborah did her residency and he kind of spearheaded me through and I had uh, 30 radiation treatments. And the worst thing about them was I had to drive from Wilmington to <laughs> Philadelphia to get the get the treatments. Right. <laughs> so one of the things that was thought at the time with acoustic neuromas is that Jefferson was doing some trials that acoustic neuromas, they thought there was better hearing preservation when you did the treatment broken up into multiple treatments. And you had had loss, hearing loss in the opposite ear from some time in the military, yeah, right? I, my job, and I had a very interesting job in the military. I worked for the first 15 years at a Dugway Proving Grounds doing engineering tests on new equipment for the government. One of the most interesting one is I did engineering tests on the cruise missile when it was being developed. And had had some, you know, loud hearing exposures yes. and had lost some hearing. I, I mean, they didn't pass hearing protection out there. So when you fired a rocket, when you fired an artillery shell, you just kind of turned your head. Well, I <laughs> oh, turned great. my head and I'm deaf in that ear now. <laughs> so I sent dad to Jefferson. He got actually 26 treatments over a little over five weeks. And one of the challenges during that, which you actually weathered really well, is with this type of treatment, from my memory, you had a bite block where they mm -hmm. made a mold for your teeth. And that was how they set you up each day. You yeah. would bite onto that. And so he went through his radiation for the acoustic neuroma, which is a benign type of brain tumor. So that was a good thing. And that was in 2004. And we followed him after that. Things were stable or shrinking, which was all good. 
And then we got a surprise a few years later. Well, let me add, the worst side effect of that was I lost 20% of my equilibrium. And, but other than that, everything has been fine. Yeah. So in 2007, due to some screening that you have through DuPont, because of some chemicals you used, you've been on a bladder screening protocol and they found a couple of spots in one of your kidneys. And at that point, we thought this was going to be a bad kidney tumor. And because of the risk of developing others down the road because of your exposures, we opted for a partial nephrectomy, which is where they go in and only take out part of the kidney. And what are your thoughts about that? Do you have any memories of that in particular? I hated sitting in bed. I couldn't wait to get out of the <laughs> hospital. But the surgery was absolutely no pro no problem. Yeah. And practically no after effects once I came out of the anesthesia. And they kept me there, excuse my French, way too damn long. <laughs> I wanted to get out and go back and go back to real life. So we had been expecting something bad at that point, And we were surprised that it was actually a low grade, not aggressive kidney tumor. So they had taken out that part and we were done at that point. So that yeah. was really nice. And things continued to be good. And then we got an even bigger surprise in 2013. So from what I recall at that point, you were seen in the emergency room for some abdominal pain. Mm -hmm. And they found a mass in your abdomen that looked malignant. And at that point, they tried to biopsy it, and it did not come back with enough cells to be able to know what the diagnosis was. So that was when I sort of got involved, and we got some additional studies and found some lymph nodes in the chest as well. And I have to say, at that point, as an oncologist, I thought we were going to be dealing with something really terrible, um, because the lymph nodes were in the upper abdomen, which can be seen in things like pancreatic cancer or gastric cancer. So I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be the one in all honesty, but ultimately we had one of the thoracic surgeons go in with a scope and take a piece of the lymph nodes in the chest. And it was a surprise that it was an aggressive lymphoma. So that was something that we hadn't really been expecting. And that led to six months of chemotherapy with RCHOP. And one of the things that I was really amazed about is nothing really seemed to change with you during that time. No, it really didn't. You know, it didn't stop me from doing what I wanted to do. It kind of fouled up my schedule. But uh, and looking back, the dumbest thing I did is I did not let them put a stint in to a do port the, in, right? Yeah, a port in to instead I let them use my blood vessels. Well, today drawing blood out of me is very, <laughs> very difficult. And when I look back on that, that to be perfectly honest, that was stupid on my part. It really yeah, was. I should have done a little bit better job of <laughs> guiding you at that point. 
But, you know, one of the things that was amazing to me at the time is you didn't seem to be worried or afraid at all. Why was that? You know, I've always been a relatively strong individual, and I didn't let things bother me. Uh, It was going to be what it was going to be, and it turned out to be good for the third time in a row. Yeah. As I said at the start, the Alzheimer's sometimes steals some memories, but my memory is at one point I was like, Dad, why aren't you worried at all? And he looked at me and he said, you told me everything was going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And afterwards I was like, I cannot believe he just completely bought that. (laughs) Well, and to be honest with you, the worst thing about it was it screwed up one whole summer in Maine for me. (laughs) That it did. But, you know, one of the other things that came out of that, that was sort of funny at the time My children were small at that point, and I told my four kids, granddad's going to be getting some medicines. They are strong medicines. He's going to lose his hair. There's going to be periods of time when you can't hug him, but it's all going to be okay, and everything is fine. And my children really went into that believing that because I was calm and I was assured, and they really believed that everything was going to be fine. And it's interesting because one of them at one point said to granddad, granddad, the medicines they're giving you, they're enough to make you lose your hair. They must be really strong medicines. And you said, they are strong medicines. And Alex said, but everything's going to be okay. You said, everything's going to be fine. And he said, oh, okay. And that was the end of it. So I think it's really one of those things that if the adults are calm and believe that everything is going to be okay, the kids are going to be calm and believe everything is going to be okay. Well, and to be perfectly honest with you, any of any of the cancers, I knew that I could get cured and go on. I'll be 80 years old this month. And I'm still able to do whatever I want to do. We knew 30 years ago I had Alzheimer's because I had a family history of Alzheimer's. But it didn't start increasing until about six months ago. And I have a real problem remembering. I have to ask my wife, now, what are we doing tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah, you've got lots of good memories from when you were a kid. Yep. The the more recent ones are starting to fade a little, but it's amazing. The kid memories really seem just as sharp as they ever were for you. Well, it's it's this short cycle right now. My my Alzheimer's really started was plateaued for years, but in the last six months, it started to increase, and the the, the noticeable increase is a four-day time period Mm. uh, before and after something. But I can still, like I said, I can still remember when I was seven years old perfectly what I did. Yeah, it is probably the biggest challenge we've faced in your lifetime so far. You know, I mean, I think it's really, it's an interesting thing for other people to realize that lymphoma, or a benign brain tumor, or all of these things, 
you know, these are things that can be cured, but unfortunately Alzheimer's in this day and age is not something that's curable. And it's not even something that's really well treatable. You know, it's progressive and it's, I think it's really interesting that this is what's going to be the one thing that really, yeah, really gets I, us I, I, with you. Uh, but I'm very fortunate. I have a wife that's the love of my life and she tolerates me asking now, what are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> for, the, for the sixth and, or and seventh get, time. doesn't get upset. <laughs> my mom is a saint. She will answer that question sweetly and lovingly to my dad 20 times in a row. And, you know, I don't think he realizes sometimes how many times it is, but no, like, we no, all, I, I don't. We all try to be as patient as we can. But back to the cancers, um, one of the other ones that ended up being a huge challenge that shouldn't have been is you developed a basal cell carcinoma. And basal cell is one of the non-aggressive types of skin cancer, usually not a big deal. But tell them why yours was a big deal. It was in my eye. Right. Uh, well, my eyelid. Yeah. <laughs> To me, that's part of my right, eye. For sure. <laughs> to the scientist and the right. doctor, it's my so eyelid. So it was on his eyelid. And what that means is you can't just cut it out because if you remove part of the eyelid, the eye will no longer be able to shut, which means that it will dry out and you will get severe cataracts, pain, all sorts of other issues. So this ended up being one of those things where we were like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about this? So I referred my dad for radiation and he actually got more treatments for that than he did for the brain tumor in 2004. So that was 30 treatments with an eye shield every day to treat the eyelid and avoid the underlying eye. And he's had an excellent response to that as well. So that is cleared up, but you know, four times, you know, you say third time's a charm, uh, apparently, in my dad's case, he's always got to one-up everyone. <laughs> well, and the nice part about it is the doctor, the first time I had the appointment with him, and I told him that my daughter was a radiation oncologist, he said, I want to talk to her on the phone. And he talked to her, and he kept her informed of what was going on throughout the whole treatment. And I really appreciated that. Yep, that was good because I couldn't be there to oversee things. You got that treatment in Florida. So it was nice to be able to hear what was going on and be kept in the loop. I did appreciate that. So at this point, you know, one of the challenges, as I've mentioned, is that, you know, he is 80 and is getting more forgetful when he had the lymphoma. I remember thinking, I just want 10 more years. And if I had been told when he was diagnosed with the lymphoma in 2013, that he was going to be going downhill from Alzheimer's, you know, many years down the road, I would have said, yep, we'll sign on the line for that because, <laughs> you know, Lymphoma is not cured in every person. And, you know, some people do die of lymphoma. And for certain, I would have, in that moment, signed on for having a guarantee that you'd be here at 
almost 80 and just a little more forgetful than you sometimes were. So I want to remind everybody that, you know, even if we think it's a disaster in the moment, just let life take its course, have faith, be strong, get through things with as much grace as you can and see what happens because, you know, sometimes it's not what you think is going to be a problem. It's something completely different. Well, I have been very, very fortunate. Uh, and as my daughter will tell you, I'm very strong-willed. And so basically I go into every, everything with the attitude that I'm going to beat this. Well, I can't beat old age. I'm <laughs> sorry about that. But <laughs> Dad, that is the absolute truth. Yeah, there's no beating time, right? No. So my dad's 80th birthday is on April 29th, which is why I wanted to do this podcast this month, because I just thought it was such a great happy birthday celebration to both him and all of his family. And when I do podcasts with other people, I always give them a chance to give a message to their loved ones and their family. So I'd like you to just spend a minute. I'm very, very fortunate. I am married to the best woman a man could ever ask for. Actually, I worked with her dad when she was seven years old. Oh, we're totally cutting that part out, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but we had to meet at the right time, and we met in a church meeting, and it was love at first sight for both of us, and we have been together ever since, and that's very, very wonderful. My daughter, I can't tell you how proud I am of her, all her successes in life all the things she wants to do for people, you know, she just goes out of her way to help people, to help them and their, them and their families through a cancer. And sometimes it's not with the results that you'd like to have, but comforts their families and does a really great job. Thanks, Dad. Uh, our oldest son, Bob. Well, Bob's a very hard worker. Uh, he's very fortunate. He's got a wonderful wife and three very pretty girls. Uh, Deborah has all boys. <laughs> <laughs> he has all girls. And he's always said, well, if... We might have another one if I was guaranteed another girl. So obviously, but his girls really love him. And uh, he's a very, very good dad. But those girls just adore their dad. They do. They really do. The thing that makes me proudest of him and my son-in-law, Phil, Deborah's husband, is they love to backpack together and they backpacked all, all over the country. That passed on from me. By the time I was 25 years old, I had hiked every mile of trail in every national park that existed at that point. 
except the one up in on Lake Northern Lake Michigan. And the nice thing is, is his oldest daughter and one of Debbie's sons likes the backpack too. So this tradition is traveling yeah. through several generations. Hiking's always been important to me, and I'm glad to see that it's continuing to go on in the family. And I'm very, very pleased that he and Deborah's husband like to go backpacking someplace. Then I'll get to my youngest son, Ben. Uh, when I married my wife, Ben was two years old, but immediately Deborah and Bob accepted him as their little brother, even though he slobbered all over the back <laughs> seat. My God, that kid drooled. For sure. I remember that. Oh, neither of us wanted to sit next to him in the car because he drooled on us. They knew this relationship was serious and was going to be long lasting. Ben was basically very much overweight, could never get it under control. Uh, and he passed away at 25. Ben was during his short life period, really made a name for himself. He, he made a mark on Nashville and will never be forgotten. He was a Nashville Predators fan motivator. He had a hockey charity organization. If a young child was sick, he would go visit him. He had a hockey radio show with another fellow. Uh, he did lots of charity work. He, he made the most of his short life. Uh, and He's still remembered in Nashville today after all of these years. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the blessing for me and my wife is our entire family likes each other. Got it. We have no arguments yeah. in our family. That's, to me, that's one of the biggest blessings. I think, Dad, that we all realize that. Life is short and, you know, it's definitely too short for us to be arguing with each other and especially arguing with each other over things, you know, things can be replaced. Things are not what's important. It's the people that we love and the family relationships that are really the most important for all of us. And well, maybe... and, and, and it always has been, I mean, uh... Everybody's been fortunate in one respect or another, uh, but you don't, what you, what makes the difference in the end is family. For sure. It's not what you have, it's family. And we have absolutely the best family a man and a woman could ever ask for. You're not a little bit biased there, are you? I am not the slightest <laughs> bit biased. I am speaking 100% the truth. Dad, this has been so much fun. Thanks for doing this with me. This is going to be one that I think people are really going to love because they're going to get to know me a little bit better and they're hearing your great story. 
So thanks for sharing with us today. Well, and I want to close with one thing. Uh, you have my prayers for you, anybody that has cancer, and I hope you all do well. And I hope that all of you get healed. You know, just keep your prayers for everybody that has cancer. Thanks, Dad. I love you. I love you. <laughs> you did a good job. Thank you. All right, let me edit this. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.